0: The first reading this morning is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 14, verses 1 to 13. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles, and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews, together with their leaders, to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the good news. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done. They shouted in their Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them.
1: Our reading continues in Acts 14, recapping from verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and, with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them, and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples.
2: Okay, so being dependent. Being dependent on technology that doesn't always work. Being de- what sort of connotations does that phrase? conjure up for is being dependent. Is that a good phrase or a a negative phrase? Any thoughts? Mickey, you work this morning. Negative. Negative. We don't like to be dependent on others. You love it. (laughs) And that is wonderful. You love being dependent. It has... Do you know, it's interesting, it's two sides of the same coin, isn't it? In many ways our society has been saying that being dependent is a negative thing, that actually we need to be independent and not dependent on others. But actually that isn't always the right thing. I, I was watching Hannah come in with her two little children and watching her carry the youngest and realising that, you know, babies are totally dependent on others to look after them. They can't do anything for themselves. But yet, what that relationship does, that sense of dependency on the adult and and the amazing feeling of responsibility one has for a tiny child that can't do anything by itself, that's a positive dependency. Being dependent on, on things that aren't good for us aren't such a good thing. I was thinking also about children, that they grow up and they... Become more and more independent, and you have that phase where they're they're passing from one into the other. And we're slightly at that phase in our family. Um, Our oldest son is now 21, and in many ways he is pretty independent—not financially at all, (laughs) nor being able to cook for himself, nor being able to do his washing and his ironing. He is when he's away, but suddenly when he comes back home, all these capabilities that he once had. But that sense of of changing and growing and becoming independent is something you want for your children. We're going to be thinking about what it means to be dependent on God and the real positive aspect. But it means taking away some of this desire to be independent, that our society is clamouring for us to be. Everything says, be who you can be, stand on your own two feet, don't depend on others. And the Gospel says, be totally dependent on God. Don't think you can do this by yourself because you can't. And actually, you only blossom and flourish the more you become dependent on God, on his grace at work throughout your life. And this is the journey for Paul and Barnabas. And at the end of our passage from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. They don't say they achieved all that they set out to do. They ticked all the boxes on their to-do list. They acknowledge that all that they have done was because they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. It wasn't even their work. It is the work of God. And through his grace, they are involved in carrying out all that he has planned for them. So a journey of learning to be totally dependent on God Sometimes not knowing where that's going, sometimes when that's difficult, but being totally dependent on God. So, our journey for our two travellers, Paul and Barnabas, they've been on quite a trip. We join them at the, at the beginning of the chapter in Iconium, where they're speaking and they're preaching in the synagogue. We think of the synagogue as a place of worship, a holy place, but it was much more than that. It was a place where lots of everyday business happened. I grew up in a town called Stirling and there there's something called the toll booth. And it was a similar sort of idea that the whole place, the whole village, the whole town gathered in one place and business took, was carried out there. And there was an element where that was going on within the synagogue. It was a place of worship, but it was also a place where business took place and things were debated. Issues of the day were debated. And so how appropriate that Paul and Barnabas come to the synagogue Because they are talking about faith, but they're talking about a faith that's actually going to affect every single aspect of life. It is not just about worshipping God, it's about living a life that honours him and being the people that God has made us to be. So they're speaking in the right place, able to talk to the people's lives. The response is mixed. Some believe, hallelujah. Some believe and follow. Others are less sure. They're not just kind of a little bit anti it. They're so against what Paul and Barnabas are saying that they turn against them. And they become angry, they become fearful, and that's often a reaction when we don't like what we're hearing. One of our responses is to become angry because maybe we feel threatened by what we're hearing. And they respond by trying to stone Paul and Barnabas. So some success, but actually... An element of threat and danger coming into what they've been called to do, and they have to flee. In some ways, the task is unfinished. Some believe, but others don't. But it's not right for them to stay in that place, and they flee. And they flee to safety, and they end up in Lystra. It's about 20 miles away, so it's taken some time to get there. And when they get to Lystra, they, they see a man who's crippled and they heal him. And this is Familiar territory, this is something that they've been involved with before. The disciples and all those early Christians understand that sense of healing and have been involved in healing miracles. And so familiar territory, they heal the man. Now the people around them watch this and are amazed. They see the healing happen and they automatically assume that Paul and Barnabas are something they're not. They think they must be gods come down from heaven, and they attribute names to them, Zeus and Hermes, and they say the gods have come, and they try to worship them. Now, it seems quite a strong reaction, but there was a legend in Lystra which went that years before, you know, all these legends happen a long time before, the gods did, in fact, visit that town in disguise, And none of the town residents recognized the gods, apart from one elderly couple. So they know this legend. They know that one time the gods came to visit, and they weren't recognized. And they suffered the consequences of that. So they're on alert. If anything unusual happens, they will automatically assume that the same thing has happened again. And the gods have come down to visit them. So in some ways it's quite a normal reaction to them. They see something supernatural happen and they think the gods have done it again. They've come back and we're going to recognize them this time and worship them. And of course Paul and Barnabas are are mortified. That's not who they are. And the last thing they want to be is worshipped. As I was reading this it reminded me a little bit of some of the Doctor Who episodes where Doctor Who and his assistant end up in some place and do what they do naturally And the people, the aliens, the the native residents, make an assumption about who they are. And when, of course, they're not that, turn against them. And so Dr. Who always has to run and, and leave and escape. Mistaken identity. Doing what they do through the power of God, but it being misinterpreted by the residents. And that conflict arising as a result. So the natives assume that, um, the natives, sorry, the residents assume that they are the gods. Paul and Barnabas resist this. And again, there's there's danger. And they run. They they think, you know, that life is going to be difficult. They try to be stoned. They're left for dead. And they're not dead. They leave the city and move to safety. But interestingly, the next morning, they go back in. Which must have taken great courage, a place where they were nearly dead. They go back in. Why do they go back in? Well, possibly to show that they haven't died. Possibly to give testimony to the grace of God again. But they go back in and spend the day there, and then leave once more. So they go on to to Derby. And there they win a large number of disciples. And for now, the job's done. They've done all that God has asked them to do, and so they return. And as they return, they go back through Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And as they go through the places, they have another task to do. They encourage the disciples who they've already met and left. They go back through, visit them again, and encourage them in the tasks that they have. They remind them that following God isn't always easy. Paul is brutally honest. And he says, actually, this isn't an easy job that you've got ahead of you. There will indeed be hardships. He probably told them about what they've just experienced. Two cases of of being stoned. That's not an easy option to follow Christ and to proclaim Christ as Lord when that danger lies. And so he's honest with them. He doesn't say, now you've set up your church, it's going to be hunky-dory and and, wonderful forever after. He speaks about the reality of what it means to follow God's task. To be that light, to proclaim the gospel in a hard place. But he encourages them and reminds them why they're doing it. You are doing it because God has called you to do this. And yes, it will be difficult. And he gives them a practical response as well. He says, you know, we've got these churches going on here and I want to help you be able to run them well. So he anoints elders to manage the everyday runnings of those early communities of Christians. So an honest response, a practical response, and an encouraging response in each of those places, helping them for the next stage of their journey. And they remain in Antioch for some time. We don't know how long. We think some of the letters that Paul wrote may have been written while he was in Antioch. But they remain there for some time. And in Antioch, they give expression to this understanding that it is only through God's grace that they are able to do any of the work that they have been tasked to do. All that they've seen, all that they've done, they attribute to the grace of God. The growth in the church, they don't say we did well didn't we it all comes back to saying through the grace of god we have seen these things happen it is god who has opened a door of faith amongst the gentiles no self publicity all the praise and the glory and the honor goes back to god because they know how dependent they are on god they've understood that and realized that and it's only in that dependence They are able to do anything. The story of Acts, as James was saying a couple of weeks ago, is the story of God at work amongst his people, preparing those who listen, equipping those who will go, with no sense of individual pride or ambition, but everything being done through God and the acknowledgement going back to him. There's a little phrase that has been used in theology called Missio Dei, the mission of God. And it's that sense of God doing the work, God being involved in mission on his world, on his earth. And us as his followers joining in with God. So watching, seeing, seeing where God is already at work before we ever get there. But joining in in what God is doing. And when we see it that way, then it is so natural to to give that praise and glory to God because it is not about us. It is about God and what he is doing. The story of Acts is an unfolding of that understanding that we still need to remember that the ministry and mission that we are called to is God's ministry and mission. And totally dependent on him, we join with him. And by his grace, we see that work grow and blossom and flourish. There's a lot of talk in the National Church of England at the moment about church growth. There's a recognition now that the church is in decline. There's words such as a demographic time bomb, that over the next 20 or 30 years, unless something drastic happens, the Church of England will diminish in number. Because the age profile is such that People move on and die. And if churches aren't being grown from the bottom up, there won't be churches in some places. What a terrible place we've got to. But how good that the church is actually recognising this. And their latest report is saying from anecdote to evidence. It's been anecdote for some time. Now there is evidence. Evidence that the church is in decline. And a concerted desire to reverse that decline and say we're not about decline, we're about growth. Because we believe that God has a purpose for his church and wants to grow. Now, there's a risk that when we're in this sort of frame of mind, we look to a whole lot of plans and strategies and programs. And we look to see what is the best growth program for our churches across England. It happens to be the Church of England. What program could we adopt in order to achieve? Programs are good as tools but we still have to remember that we're totally dependent on God. And on the back of this report, the Reverend Canon John Holmes writes this. He says, With all the hypotheses that we have, there needs to be a proper humility and caution. As we've already observed, the ways of God are not always easy to fathom or chart, least of all predict. On the TV quiz show QI, There is one answer that appears in every show. Nobody knows. Any wise student of church growth should always acknowledge the mystery of God's loving action in the world and admit that there are times when we really don't know why this cathedral or church has grown in this way at this time. But then God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. That's what Paul and Barnabas came to understand, that God is God and they are not. Totally dependent on God, they were able to see him at work and join in. And that must surely be the cry in our nation, that we watch and observe and and rejoice in seeing God at work and join with him. Programs might be useful as tools, as long as we see them as tools rather than means to an end. We need to focus on God and then use the best that we have to our ability to bring about that flourishing of his kingdom. Listen to the words of Bill Hybels of Willow Creek. Authentic Christianity is not learning a set of doctrines and then stepping into cadence with people all marching the same way. It is not simply humanitarian service to the less fortunate. It is a walk A supernatural walk with a living, dynamic, communicating God. Thus the heart and soul of the Christian life is learning to hear God's voice and developing the courage to do what he tells us to do. The heart and soul of the Christian life is learning to hear God's voice and developing the courage to do what he tells us to do. Tomorrow I'm going to be at Lambeth Palace sitting with a panel appointing the next bishop of Guildford. It's a hugely daunting prospect. But within that task I have a real deep sense I can't speak for my colleagues I I think they would agree with this but I can only speak for myself that I long for a bishop who knows this. A bishop who knows that he's totally dependent on God that when he's thinking about what God is calling him to come and do in the Guildford of Diocese, and I say he because it will be a he, he knows that he can't do it alone, that he's almost overwhelmed by the size of the task and thinks, I'm totally unable to do that task. I might have a CV that stretches this long and these tick boxes that give me evidence of of capability. But deep down, I know I can do nothing without God. Because with a bishop like that, this diocese will will blossom and flourish because from the very top we will have modelled a total dependency on God. So if you have time tomorrow and Tuesday, pray. Pray that that type of man will be the one that we see is the right man to be bishop for our our diocese as we continue to move forward trusting God for all, all that he has in store for us. How on earth Well, we know, pray that God will show us that we will hear his voice, that we will have the courage to say, I think it should be this person, even if on paper it doesn't actually look as if that should be the right person. Because God doesn't always work like that. It isn't always the most obvious answer. But when we hear him, he calls us to the right way, dependent on him. And what about us here? Here in our villages, in our communities, in our parish, in our congregations. What do we learn from Paul and Barnabas? It's really hard to be totally dependent on God. Firstly, because we hold back from Him, we don't give Him our all. And so there's always that bit in reserve that, that we're not handing over. It's a scary place to be because we don't know where God will take us. We don't quite know what he'll say, how it will pan out. But it's also the most wonderful place to be. And there is that beautiful irony of being terrified and being rejoicing that this is the best place to be all in one. I love Anne's response. Being totally dependent can be a really, really good thing. It can be a hard place, but it can be the best place. And it's the place we want to be. It isn't neat and packaged, and I've said this before. We can't plan it and say, this is what we think God wants to do amongst us. It's all beautifully neat, and here's our list of plans and action plans. But when we're totally dependent on God, we do his work, and that's what we want to do. We're on an exciting journey here. We're not going to Iconium and Lystra, and heaven forbid, we're not going to be stoned in the process. But we're on a journey that is saying to God, Where are you taking us next? Because we know there are many, many people who don't yet know Christ, living next door to us, who we long to bring into the kingdom because we long to see them filled with the joy of Christ. And we could plan it beautifully in a human way, but actually saying to God, you show us the way, it will probably take longer because actually God sometimes shows us things bit by bit. But we are on that journey. We've had an amazing response to our gift day. We've got a budget to be able to buy a property in Wanish, which we've never thought we'd be able to do. We've actually put in an offer on a house. Pray that that will work through. Because when you put in the offer, it's not the end of the story. But pray if that is the right place, that, that God will just put everything into place to make sure that that happens, that we then have something that we can offer to a full-time member of staff the next, next task is then who is that member of staff and that's pretty scary because we don't quite know we've been trying different routes one route that we've been on has come to an end so we have to shift and look at another route or routes and creatively say God who are you calling to be in this place because you have prepared them for the task that we are committing to here. And it may not all fit neatly so that once Nikki retires, everything's in place. It probably won't. But we have to trust God that in that waiting period, he will teach us so much more, that he will raise us up and show us new ways of being and doing, that when that person is found, we say, ah, that's why. That makes so much sense because this person fits in here and we can see how it's all going to come together. I can say that with confidence standing here. If I wake up at three in the morning, worrying about it, I don't feel so confident. And that is how the Christian life is. The moments of panic, alongside the moments of deep, deep assurance and trusting in God. Paul and Barnabas trusted in God because they knew they were totally dependent on him. It wasn't an easy journey. They faced death. But what they were able to see is that everything that happened was through God, through his grace, and for his glory. May we be a church like that too. Amen.